you in prayer this morning. Um, Brother Paul is, is not here this morning. He is actually um, at a great size service um, for Randy Abel this morning. So you guys be in prayer for, for that family and um, that that is where he is, he is at. Um, there's a lot of people, I told somebody a while ago, there's, there's a lot of people in the, in the hospital, a lot of sickness going around that um, a lot of people stay home today for sickness. So, uh, you know, church, we just want to be mindful um, about, about them and continue to lift them up in prayer. Um, I couldn't get away from this this week. Um, but we're going to be in Revelation um, chapter 2. And Lord willing, we um, maybe next Sunday morning we'll get back to our, our series on the names of God. But this morning we're going to be in Revelation chapter 2. And I must be either, I've had either too much coffee or I'm nervous or what, but it, it is 68, but I'm hot. If you study the, the New Testament, you'll see that um, you'll see that Satan attacks the church in, in many different ways. His goal is to devour churches. You'll see he tries to introduce false doctrine into the church. And when that doesn't work, he'll try to introduce divisions and he'll try to divide the house because he knows if a house is divided, then it cannot stand. He'll try to use things like gossip and jealousy and suspicion and pride. And when that doesn't work, he... <laughs> Man, he, he doesn't give up, man. He, then he's going to try to discourage and, and put difficulties in your path. So his goal is to discourage God's people and tear down the church. And listen, I, I think that um, the season that we've been in in the last four, five, six, seven, eight weeks in this week of revival, that the Spirit is moving on this campus and that we are in a time of uh, revival um, and, th and we need to, to listen to this, this warning, this concern, because if we're not careful, I think that we're going to look at uh, the programs and the, the services and the events and forget about the love that is flowing from the cross. So here we go. Y'all ready? I'm ready this morning. So when, when Satan cannot deceive us, he's going to try to uh, divide us. He's going to try to daunt on us and and when that doesn't uh, work he's going to try to divert us with a word called complacency i read a story this week um recently involving the butterball turkey company it's, it's kind of turkey about turkey season right so um they set up butterball turkey agency set up this hotline to answer customers questions especially through the holidays this lady called in she said i've had this turkey for 23 years it's been in the freezer I want to take it out this year. You think it'll still be good? The lady on the hotline said, well, as long as the freezer has been zero or below, it should be okay. But I have to warn you that, that the flavor has probably been deteriorated. It's, it's probably going to be a little bland. I probably would not recommend you eating that this Thanksgiving. The lady on the phone said, that's exactly what I thought. I tell you what, I'll just donate it to the church then. Mm. Mm. Listen, just like that turkey in the story, I, I laugh. But we have been losing our flavor for years. Sometimes we lose the, um, the focus 
on the love of Christ and we focus on the ministry or the work or the service. We focus on the buildings and the programs and the structures and the numbers and we, we forget about the one who made all things possible. We forget about the Lamb of God. We forget about Jesus Christ. Mm. We've lost our flavor. Listen, I believe in the, the past few months that, that God's really starting to do a mighty work on this campus. And I want to be um, careful as we approach this and not to hinder his, his spirit um, that, that's working. And I don't want to lose this time of, of revival, not to say that it's a, it's a certain week or, you know, we're coming out of this week of revival, but revival is every day. Revive me daily daily it's a daily process that's that that word that sanctification process in in revival it's it's that i am revival if i'm not doing what i'm supposed to be doing then revival won't happen listen that's a daily process for us today so this morning i want to tell you about a church who needed revival we're going to read about the church of ephesus from revelation and this morning i think it paints a picture of a church that somewhere along the way, um, they, let, they allowed the good, hang on to me here, they allowed the good to replace the best in their spiritual lives. Listen, they were, they were okay with where they were. So I prayed about this message uh, this week, and about halfway through, I, I kept trying to go to the names of God and hitting a, hitting a roadblock. And I kept going back to this, um, this church of Ephesus, and as I continued to pray um, about this message, um, I come back from Duke on Thursday, and I stopped by my mama's house, and she fed me ribs <laughs> and mac and cheese and potatoes. And listen, she has the best mac and cheese. Outstanding. Awesome. Um, Y'all are going to say it's nasty, but it has sugar in the mac and cheese. And I, <laughs> I love sugar in my mac and cheese. But <laughs> But listen, as, as I ate that, uh, I told Miss Melinda, I was like, hey, I, I remember being a, a star student over in the uh, K-4, and I knew my mama had these bulletins. And so I was taking a picture, and I was going to send it to her just to show her how cute I was as a little boy when I had hair and all that, you know. So <laughs> I sent it to her, and as, as I turned to the front of the, the bulletin, Brother Joe had written um, an article um, in the front of that. It was in 1991. 1991. Can I read a portion to it? Brother Joe says this, quote, it says, the only living church is the one where there is a presence, and the only dead church is where there is an absence. The presence or absence of Jesus in power determines life or death. The greatest program or structure that we can have is loving Jesus. If you love Jesus, you will, will love the precious Word of God. The, you, you will have a love for the lost, the brothers and sisters in Christ. Listen, as we focus on the church of Ephesus, it, let, us, let us take this warning. Let us keep our focus on Jesus and Jesus alone. Christ and Christ alone is enough for me. So Ephesus was a prominent city. It was a city in, in uh, Asia Minor. So it was a religious and a com uh, commercial center for this part of the world. Paul founded the church at Ephesus before establishing uh, it to Timothy as the pastor. Many believe that John shepherded this church before he was exiled to Patmos. 
right after uh, Timothy. So this church was established about 43 years, and this is where we begin reading at Revelation chapter 2. So if you would, stand with me, and we're going to read verses 1 through 7. Are you, all, you guys at Revelation 2? I didn't even ask. You guys there? All right. So here we go, verse 1. It says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, these things says, He who holds the seven stars in the right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil, and that you have tested those who, who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have preserved and have patience and may have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Repent and do the works, the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstands from its place unless you repent. But this you have, and you hate the deeds of Nic Nicolaitans, which I have also hated. He who has an ear, let him hear. What the Spirit says to the churches, to him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. As you're being seated, let's pray. Father God, we pray that your Spirit would fall on this service. Father, that your Spirit would take control of this service. And Father, that that your word would pierce our ears and our heart of everyone in here, that you would start to do a mighty work. And Father, I pray that um, everything that is said and done, the worship, the, the preaching, that it brings glory and honor to you. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Listen, this, this uh, Ephesus church had enjoyed some uh, incredible leadership. Listen, they had, had Paul and Timothy and the Apostle John him, himself, but see, the Lord gently reminds them, in verse 1, that he was in control of the ministry. See, I believe that this church had become proud and forgot these amazing pastors was a gift from God. Ephesians 4.11 says this, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. And as we read, this church had lost its first love. So it is impossible, it is possible that they were worshiping their pastors and their teachers and their worship leaders and not the Lord. Listen, before Christ deals with their, their faults, he praises this church. Listen, he says that they, they had a lot going on. They had a lot going the right direction. Verse 2 and 3 says, it says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and you cannot bear those who say that they are apostles and are not and have them liars. You have preserved and have patience and have labored for my namesake and not become weary. Listen, there, here's about five things we can tell about this church today. He compliments them. Number one, this was a serving church. This was a serving church. They were busy. They were busy, busy doing the Lord's activities or activities for the Lord. Listen, Miss Debbie, no doubt their, their calendar didn't have a, a place to fit anything else on it. And their bulletin was packed from the top to the bottom. They were booked. Second thing we see in these two verses is they were a sacrificing church. They labored. The word labored in this text means to toll to the point of exhaustion. The, the Ephesians Christians paid the price to serve the Lord. The third thing we see is this is a steadfast church. 
They were patient to keep, keep going when it was tough. They were patient when it come to serve and suffering. But when, when it come to sinning, mm-mm. they were separated, church. They were separated. What, is that? what do you mean? They, they examined the visiting ministers to see if they were genuine. See, Paul had warned the Ephesian elders uh, about the false teachers that would come from the outside and arise within the church in Acts uh, chapter 20. See, John had instructed them to try the spirits in 1 John. And Satan has his ministers inside the church. And we must be alert to detect and to reject them. See, look, the Ephesian church did, did all these things. Number five, they were a suffering church. They patiently bore the burdens and told without fainting. And they thought they did so for his name's sake. Look at verse 6. It says, but this you have that you also hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Listen, this group of people were denying the truth of the gospel of Christ. Many scholars believe that this um, originated from the, the deacon Nicholas mentioned back in Acts chapter 6 and verse 5. So it's possible that he had become a false teacher denying the truth and become, uh, became a group um, that followed the doctrine of, of Balaam. So either way, either way, the Ephesus church shielded themselves from the outside influence. So if we, if we was to stop right here in this passage about these things that we see in this church, we'd be like, man, these guys got it going on. This is a church that I want to be a part of. Listen, all of these things, that, all these five points of, of they were a serving church, a sacrificing church, they were a steadfast church, a separated church, and, and a suffering church. Man, that's a church I want to be a part of. Right? I would. I'd be like, man, I, I want in. Let me in. However, Jesus doesn't just look on the outside of man. He looks on the inside. See, Jesus just, just didn't look on the outside of this well-oiled machine. He went to the heart of the matter. He says in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Only one complaint. One complaint with these, this church. But what an awful complaint. What an awful complaint. What an awful, awful diagnosis for this church to have a heart problem. Listen, this busy, separated, sacrificing church had a heart problem. It had abandoned their first love. They, they displayed works and labored and patience in Revelation 2, 2, but the qualities of the, the motive what wasn't there. See, the motive wasn't there. It wasn't, it wasn't by the love of Christ. For this church, it was more fulfilling to hit a, a religious status quo. See, what we do for the Lord is important, but why we do it is more. I want to say it one more time. What we do for the Lord is important, but why? The why we do it. See, what is first love? What is first love? Who's married in here? <laughs> okay, here we go. What is first love? It's a devotion. It's a devotion to Christ. 
so often characterizes a, a new Christian. It is a, a personal inhabited, it's a, a very open display. It's like the honeymoon love. You guys remember the honeymoon love? Mm-hmm. You all are getting quiet on me now. You're like, preacher, can't be talking about this from the pulpit. It's a honeymoon love. It's, a, it's the love of a, a husband or wife. It describes in one word, passion. 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 It means that, I guess that we say sometimes it means that we are on fire for God. You don't care what anyone else around you thinks. You just want to love the Lord and praise Him in everything you do. You are full of the love of God and the love for the lost, and you're just one big walking ray of sunshine. Ephesians 5.2 says, Walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a, a, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. 1 Peter 1.22 says this, Now that you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Think of it. It is possible to serve and to sacrifice and to suffer for my name's sake. Think about that. Jesus says it's possible for you to, to serve, to sacrifice, and to suffer for my name's sake and not, not really love Christ. This means that you, listen church, this means that th this is where, where religion gets you. I told you a few weeks ago, we need to come back to the well of the Spirit and lay aside our religion. Religion says that you can read your Bible, you can pray this prayer this way, you can serve, you can teach, you can show up every Sunday, every Wednesday, you can be active in min ministry work, but Christ says you can still do all that and still not love me. Matter of fact, in Matthew 7, he says, <laughs> some of us are going to stand there and say, Lord, 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 I did this. I taught, I served you. He's going to say, depart. Listen, the Ephesians were so busy maintaining their separation of false doctrine that they were neglecting to adore and honor Christ in the way that they should. Listen, I, I heard a I don't know where I, I don't know who to give the credit to, but um, Stan Anderson. I was sitting in his service one day, and he used this illustration. He says that some some could say that we could be as straight as a gun barrel, but still empty. Mm. Straight as a gun barrel, but still empty. John MacArthur. I don't quote him much, but he says it like this: To be a Christian is to love the Lord Jesus Christ. But the Ephesians' passion and fever for Christ have become cold and mechanical. Their doctrine and moral purity, their undiminished zeal for truth, and their disciplined service were no substitute for the love of Christ that they have forsaken. Let me give you an example. We mentioned that a first love can be described as a honeymoon love. Look at uh, it, look back at, if you will, you write it down at Genesis 29, um, verse 20. It, it says, So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but it seemed like only a few days. 
to him because of, the, uh, of his love for her. Seven years he labored for Rachel. It only seemed like a, a few, few days. A few days. Listen, that's first love. So it's, it's true that a mature married couple's love will deepen and grow richer. But it's, it is also true that you should never lose the excitement, the wonder of those honeymoon days. When a husband and wife, hang on here, open your ears up here. When a husband and wife begins to take each other for granted and, and become a marriage of a routine procedure, that's when the marriage is in danger. You say, are you on marriage and the love of Christ? Well, hang on here. This is the same way of a relationship with Christ. Our relationship will grow, it will mature and grow deeper, but we can never take for granted our relationship with Christ. Listen, we should still desire to be in the house of God, to pray, to fellowship, to worship. Listen, that's, that's our purpose as disciples of Christ. Our purpose, our passion should follow our purpose. Passion follows purpose. Listen, <laughs> before I get all the way to end, let me give you a sol solution to this problem. Let me ask you something. Do you love the Lord the same today as you first surrendered your life? Do you still have the passion that you once had? Charles Spurgeon says this, when we first loved the Savior, how earnest we were. There was not a single thing in the Bible that we did not think most precious. There was not one command of His that we did not think to be like fine gold or a choice silver. Never were the doors of His house open when we were weren't there if there was a prayer meeting at any hour of the day we were there listen it is the loss of your first love that makes you seek the comfort of your bodies instead of the prosperity of your souls do you still have the passion that you had when you first surrendered Listen, some of you here, you say, if you can't a answer that, if you're unsure, chances are you could have lost the first love. The good thing is, is God is, is a God of restoration. That he gave us three commands in this text that we could go back and look at. Look at verse 5. It says, remember, therefore, where you have fallen, repent and do the first words, first works. So God says, do three things. Remember repent and repeat he says remember he says meditate on on what our relationship with christ was like when we first were saved recall how we used to witness for him no matter who was around that i was bold that i'm unashamed of the gospel of christ that i will stand on a hill and let my light shine and not put a bowl on top of it y'all are quiet today Repent. Repent means to, to change one's mind, a, a, course, a reverse course, if you will, a 180. So if we have left our first love, we must turn back. 
This is a choice. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Remember, repent. Repeat. Repeat. Repeating means to practice again what faithful steps of discipleship that we took as new believers. We must restore the original fellowship with Christ. Passion follows purpose, not vice versa. Don't get those two mixed up. Passion follows purpose. Listen, we got to get back to be a praying church, a worshiping church. Listen, this revival, why am I still on this? Normally I preach this message in, in the opposite fashion. Usually I preach it before revival. But I think there's a warning here. Church, be careful. I'm moving, I'm doing, your calendars are busy, your bulletins are full. You just had an awesome revival. But don't forget who give it to you. Don't forget who's moving. Don't forget whose church it is. Man, take it as a warning. Listen, turn turn with me. We turn back to I'll give you a minute. I'll give you a minute. Turn back to Psalm fifty one. while you're turning there let me give you some some background on Psalm 51 David David was always a passionate he's always passionate about the Lord everything he had done in his life from a shepherd boy he was a, a passionate shepherd listen when he was slaying the giant he was a, a passionate about it when he was was playing the harp for Saul he was passionate about playing when he was running from Saul to the caves, listen, he was passionate about it. And then he became king. If you turn back to 2 Samuel 11, you'll see this if you read it. You'll see where it was springtime, and all the kings had went out to battle, but David remained behind. He had lost his passion for, for battle and for his position as king. So David ignored his place, which was on the battlefield. What happened? He indulged his, his passion. He, that means he fell right into what his passion was. What was that? In 2 Samuel 11, is that he went to a rooftop, and he looked over, and he seen a woman bathing. She was very beautiful. See, remember what we said, that our, our purpose that our passion has to follow our purpose, not vice versa. See, he was following his passion, and his passion took him somewhere that he, he, did, he didn't need to be going. See, David initiated a proposition. He sent someone to in, inquire about the beautiful woman, that he even ignored the, the, the words that the servant brought back, said, listen, she's a married man. She's married. Her husband's off at battle. He didn't care. So here we have a godly man who has ignored his purpose and was filled with passion. Listen, that's, that was not God's will for, for David. See, once he had committed the sin with, with this woman, he had her husband killed, Uriah. See, once he had committed this sin with Bathsheba, he had the husband killed. Listen, the prophet went right to David and said, uh-uh, big boy. The child that's born will die. 
you've messed up here. That's where we get Psalm 51. Let me, let me take you through Psalm 51 here just for a minute. Listen, verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the mul multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgression. Wash. Jump down to verse 7. It says, Purge me, wash me, make me. Verse 9, Hide your face. Verse 10, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit. Mm. Verse 12, restore me, create in me, deliver me. Listen, here is in Psalm 51 is where David asked God to remove the leprosy that has, has been in his soul to make him clean again. David wants his passion back. He said, I understand that I, I got off. He said, I understand again what my purpose is, but I need my passion back. David wants the feeling that he felt when he was a shepherd boy, when he was on the battlefield, when he was slaying the giant, when he was hiding in the cave from Saul. The passion he felt when he would first become king. So what did David have to do? He had to remember, he had to repent, and he had to repeat. He had to go back. David got his passion back. He started following his, his purpose, and God restored his passion. So what if if you and I have lost our first love and never asked for God to restore us. Back in Revelation verse chapter 2, verse 5, it says, I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from the place lest you repent. So what is that lampstand? What is that lampstand God speaks of? Matthew chapter 5 and verse 14 through 16 says this, You are a light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify the Father in heaven. So we are to put our passion, our light on display. Put our passion, our light on display for Jesus Christ. Listen, there's a warning. Christ says, if you don't do this, listen, he says in, in Matthew chapter 21, he tells a parable. He tells a parable about a, a vineyard and a vine dresser. He says this way in verse 41, he says, I will destroy those wicked men miserably and, and lease his vineyard to another vine dresser who will render to him the fruits in their season. Listen, if you and I will not show the love for Christ and serve him with a passion, let me tell you something. He's going to give your plot to somebody else, and I promise you he will raise up somebody who will. Hmm. Listen, church, we can't rely on the things that we did yesterday from the 80s, the 90s. Listen, this church was 43 years. Tennessee Avenue, you've been 75 years. Did I get that right? 75 years. Listen, we can't. Today's a new day. And tomorrow's another. Listen, we must continue to be steadfast and faithful. Can continue to worship and pray. Continue to go back to the cross and submerge yourself in the love of Christ. Listen, don't get distracted 
Don't be a, a Mary and Martha. Don't, don't get distracted by the service and forget the one's feet that you should be kneeling at. tell you this what happened to this church of Ephesus Ephesus holds a solemn lesson for us today listen at its prime this this place Ephesus could accommodate the finest seagoing vessels it, it had the the greatest highways it was one of the greatest cities of Asia Minor but now this city is in ruins and it has no church this great golden lampstand has been removed. Listen, can I tell you, church, any church that loses its love will lose its life. Any church that loses its love will lose its life. A famous evangelist once described the, the North American church as a sleeping giant. He says the description may look impressive on the outside, and there is a, a, a little real and genuine spiritual life present. The only sound com coming from this organization is a very comfortable sound of snoring. Church, can I tell you, it's time to wake up. There's some, some that's going across right now saying that, hey, the great awakening, awakening is now. Now. Church, it's time to, to wake up. We've been asleep for far too long. I believe at some point, everyone goes through a, a time, a season, where they lose their, their passion. But I give you this message today as a, as a warning, not to, to preach down to you, but as a warning, as a self-examination. Don't lose your passion. Don't lose your fire that you once had. Stay on the wall. Bill Hoskins said last week, he said, he used the illustration of uh, the Greek Olympics, I think. He says it wasn't always uh, about the, who could finish the race the, the quickest or, or the fastest. He says, he says it was who could finish the race and whose lamp, whose, whose flame would still be burning. Church, listen, my prayer is that I can finish strong. Tal, when I get to, the, to the, the, the sacramental table, that he can say, well done, my servant. You filled the gap. You stood on the wall. You accomplished what I had set before you. Well done. You have fought the, the fight. You have finished the race. Well done. Listen, have you lost your passion? Have you lost your focus? Alicia, come on, we're going to in a time of invitation short short service today but i challenge you church some of us need to remember some of us need to repent and get back to the passion and the purpose we once had let's pray father god we thank you for this time today father we pray that your spirit is moving and working and father may we Search in us and show us the things that we need to, to clean out, to purge in our hearts, to lay aside, to get back to where we once were. And Father, may we worship you and praise you. And Father, may we be a, a praying people. And Father, as we pray that the well is unclogged, Father, show us what's clogging. 
And Father, we pray that for this time of invitation, may you start moving in the people and, and bringing us to the altar and laying aside what, what is in the way. We ask these things in your name.